Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Nomad Strength Show. I am Ross Hillier, your host. We are doing a solo show today, going to be a little bit shorter than our normal uh, interview shows that we do at the beginning of every week. And so these are the types of shows that I would do a little bit of a deep dive on my approach and my coaching or my philosophies on certain topics that I get asked about, or they're really random things like some of the top five lists that we've done in the past. Uh, today, however, is something that I'm really going to have the chance to nerd out on a little bit, which I'm I'm pretty excited for because I've been trying to figure out a way to do this episode uh, for a while. And I just finally realized the other day that I could essentially make it a modified version of the breathwork seminar that I teach locally. I, uh, sometimes I do it in like PT clinics or or some gyms or offices. Anybody can benefit from, from breathwork practice. And so I've put together this seminar that I teach uh, over the course of a couple of hours with some, with some practice and practical application stuff. And so I figured I could probably do a, a modified version of that for the podcast and cover a lot of the same information and actually even give you a couple of protocols uh, that I teach in those seminars. So Breathwork is the topic of the day, and this has really become the buzzword type thing in the world of training and performance over the last couple of years. Uh, I think in, oh, no, I can't remember what magazine it was, but it was listed as like the number one hack or or thing to work on to increase your health and performance uh, of this year. It was number one. It might have been Men's Health or, or, you know, one of those types of magazines. But I've been really getting into the breathwork stuff for about seven years now, I would say. I got into it in the fall of 2014. And I've actually told this story a handful of times. Uh, Harvey Martin and I had a great conversation about this. So if you want to hear a lot of how I got into it and how he got into it as well, uh, go back and listen to the episode with Harvey. It was just a few episodes back 
I'm blanking on the on the number of the podcast, but really what I wanted to cover today is the basics, uh, kind of like a, a breathwork 101 kind of thing, and then give you a couple of applications that you can take with you immediately from this episode and begin to implement in your life and understand why we're doing these things. So before we get into all the nitty gritty of the breathwork stuff, which will be a lot of fun for me, hopefully it's fun for you. Uh, if you have any podcast platform that you're listening to that allows you to rate, review, subscribe, please do so. It really does help the podcast grow. It's getting seen by a lot more people now, which is pretty cool. And a lot of it is directly related to you guys sharing and liking and subscribing and helping uh, pump it out to more people. So I really appreciate that. I know that some podcast platforms don't have the abilities to do it. I, I know Spotify just has like the subscribe or follow or whatever it is. They don't have the stars or the where you can leave a review. That's okay. If you just want to follow along and and do your thing and then share it wherever, that works just as well too. So thank you for all of you who do that. It really does. Uh, it really does make a big difference. So I'm very grateful for all of that. So let's dive in. Breath seminar podcast. I don't know if that's what I'm going to call it, but that's just what I I came out of my mouth just now. So to start, we want to look at the why first. So if we really want to get into a physiological level, there's some basic things that we need to understand about our nervous system. And this is could be its own podcast that could be probably two days worth of content. I'm going to just distill it down into the absolute basics. So we have a working understanding of why we're doing some of these things. We have essentially two functions of our nervous system, we call them parasympathetic and sympathetic. Sympathetic is what we would traditionally uh, view as fight or flight, right? It's that kind of pegged out uh, stress response side of our nervous system. Parasympathetic is the opposite. It would be your rest, digest, recovery mode um, in that side. And so if you think of it like a gas gauge, parasympathetic on the one side, sympathetic all the way to the other, it's not black and white where you're either in one or the other. That gauge moves a little bit fluidly. So you can be more sympathetic or more parasympathetic depending on the environment and your response to that environment. So I'm not going to get super deep into that point here. I just wanted to give you some basic understanding of what those two functions are. When we're sympathetic, that that quote unquote fight flight mode, right? And there's some other, uh, you know, things that are coming out research wise that are saying it's not necessarily as black and white as fight or flight either. There's some spectrum on fight. It's not like if you go sympathetic, it's going to be you have to make one of these two decisions, right? Because that tends to get thrown a lot. Like people say, you get punched in the mouth, you're either going to run away or you're going to fight. Well, it's not necessarily that cut and dry. Uh, there's some fluidity in that side of the spectrum where there are some differences between when you need to fight, when you need to, when you need to flight, which is a weird way of saying it. When you're, when you're in flight mode, it's like ultimate bear is attacking you. You stand no chance. Your main goal is to get away as far as possible. That's not a, uh, and, and because in flight tends to get thrown around in the spectrum as sort of a cowardly response when you get to sympathetic, right? Like you're either going to step up or you're going to run away. And that tends to be how uh, we have heard about these two responses. When in actuality, flight is going to be what saves your life in a couple of instances. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like if I'm not going to step up to a grizzly bear, if he comes up to me and be like, yo, what's up? It's fight time. I'm going to turn tail and freaking run out of there. And actually with a grizzly bear, you're not going to run away anyways. You're, that's not the protocol. But anyways, you get my point. Uh, so when we're sympathetic, we're in sort of a stress response mode. What has tended to happen 
in the majority of the population, especially in the States in modern times, is that we tend to live in this chronic low-grade stress response all the time. And physiologically, that actually does a ton of damage to us. And it's it's basically like living stressed out all the time. And I'm sure many of you listening to this can relate exactly to what I'm thinking about. You kind of are always a little bit stressed all the time. And our bodies aren't very well designed to handle those kind of periods without effects, negative effects happening later on, right? We're actually much better off living most of our time in parasympathetic state from a health standpoint. Uh, we are designed to very well adapt to intense acute stress for short periods of time, like in super intense periods of stress, and then come right back off of them and, and be in rest mode. We don't very well handle like the low to moderate stress for long periods of time. We just don't handle that very well from a health standpoint. And the breath is your remote control to flip the switch between parasympathetic and sympathetic. So we have this ability that, you know, it's our, our literal life breath, right? <laughs> Everybody's been breathing their entire lives. Uh, but we may not be breathing mechanically correct, or we may not be utilizing the power of what our breath can do to manipulate which state of our nervous system we're in. And that can go from being pegged out, stressed out to relaxed, or if we need to, we can ramp up ourselves and get primed and ready to go attack something. We can do both of these things with just our breath. And so this is why this is such an important thing for me, because I, I've just I deal with so many people who live in this stressed out mode. And so when we're looking at it from a health and longevity standpoint, doing something as simple as some uh, easy breath protocols, like I'm going to go over later, can really be like a, a game changing difference for a lot of these people. And then you can get into like the performance stuff, which is, you know, uh, athletes trying to, to get that one or 2% better uh, to be at the top of their game, right? And there's some specific things that we can do there, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on a little bit uh, towards the end with some of the breath hold stuff. But really, I wanted to convey that the breath is the ultimate stress response. Your ability to breathe correctly and use these certain protocols, you have the tool belt to deal with stress in a way that you maybe had never dealt with it before. Uh, and so that's the why of why we're doing all this. So the next piece of this is we're going to talk about the mechanics. So I understand that a lot of people listen to this while they're driving. So if you're driving right now, do not do any of the things that we're about to do in this podcast while you're driving. Just listen when you get home, go back and rewind and then do them there. When you're in a safe environment, you can be in your living room because I have literally heard stories of people that will do these breath exercises while they're listening to a podcast on the road and then they pass out and then the car goes off the road, right? Like that's happened. Don't do them in a pool, right? Uh, because you can black out and, and literally drown. Okay, so I'm not saying you're going to black out every time you do these things, but make sure you're in a completely safe environment when you do them, please. So if you're driving, just listen along and enjoy it and then go home and, and do it again. Okay, so we're talking about mechanics. Uh, let's talk about a couple of the things that I believe are misleading when we're talking about cues to proper breathing. The most common one that I hear is breathe into your belly which 
on its face makes a little bit of sense because what we're trying to avoid is breathing high up into our chest and our traps, right? And our neck and that really shallow breathing is where a lot of people breathe because they're mouth breathing most of the time. So in order to have someone do essentially the opposite of that, you're going to tell them to breathe as far away from that area as possible, which I understand why that's a cue that's used. However, a lot of times what people will do, well, they'll just superficially expand and contract their stomach muscles, their abs, right? Uh, and thinking they're breathing, quote unquote, breathing into their belly. Air doesn't go into your belly when you breathe. It just doesn't. Air goes into your lungs. So what I like to use as a cue is imagine breathing into the very lowest part of your lungs, which are right at the bottom part of your rib cage. And as you inhale, your rib cage should expand like a balloon 360 degrees, not just out in front of you. You should feel it expand 360 degrees. So if you take a big inhale in, try to breathe as low into your lungs as possible. So I'm going to do it here so you can hear me breathe over the over the microphone, which I don't know, may or may not be weird for you. But if you're breathing really deeply in, you should feel yourself expand 360 degrees like your rib cage inflates like a balloon. And then as you go to exhale, is going to shrink back down like a balloon deflating. Okay. So, and I guess before we took that breath, I should have begun with the getting in a comfortable and aligned position. If you're someone who can hold yourself in proper posture while sitting, that is great. If you can be completely aligned, ears over shoulders, shoulders over your hips, uh, not have a crunched over rounded back, that can be a very effective breathing position. It's a reason a lot of yoga people use it. Um, if you can't sit in that position comfortably and take a deep breath, lie down on your back, feet on the floor, up close to your butt, not laying straight on the ground. That's going to put us in a little bit of extension, so it's going to be a little bit harder to get a deep breath. So if you're laying on your back, put your feet flat on the floor, knees bent, and that's going to be your position. Okay? Then practice several of these breaths, breathing low into your lungs like we just practiced, expanding your rib cage 360 degrees, okay? Um, you can do three or four of these. You might be doing them right now while I'm talking, but just get used to the feeling of your breath expanding your rib cage. You're not just pushing your abs out in front like when people say belly breathing, right? You're expanding the rib cage. You're breathing deep into your lungs, okay? So these are the that's the basics, the very basics of how you should feel when you're taking these full deep breaths. The next piece of this is unless we are at the very highest end of, of intensity of output of power and explosiveness and, and your heart rate's just absolutely pegged, it can't possibly go any higher. That is the only time that we should be fully mouth breathing in and out. Every other time you're breathing, your mouth is shut. Nasal breathing is one of the most important things that you can be doing right now to fix your breathing mechanics, A, but then B, also have this natural, I mean, it's it, we're designed to breathe through our nose for a reason. We have these natural filters in our sinus cavity that go all the way in, all the way out, that clean and warm or cool the air depending on the environment. And if we bypass those by going straight into mouth inhaling, we, we bypass all of those things. And so, we, you know, there's no filter there, literally. 
And so that's where we can get a lot of junk that ends up in our system. Uh, there's, I mean, and that's not to say it's a perfect filter, but it's much better than the one that doesn't exist. So nasal breathing should be your number one priority when you're trying to do all of these new uh, breathing techniques. That's going to be the first thing that can help you the most. Um, and so from a breathing mechanic standpoint, let's, let's recap real quick. We nasal breathe in and out all the time, including exercise, by the way, but we'll get into that in a bit. In and out all the time. We're in a comfortable and we're in a aligned position. We're breathing into the lowest part of our lungs. I want you to feel like you're pulling that breath in and dropping it down into the lowest part of your lungs, not into your belly, okay? And your 360 degree expansion, like a balloon inflating inside your rib cage. That should be your process and how it feels when you're doing correct breathing mechanics. And this is a, it's a skill development thing. So you will get better at this the more you do it because ideally we're in this position no matter what we're doing. Whether we're standing, we're walking, we're training, we can be in this aligned position, breathing in this deep way into our lower lungs no matter what it is that we're doing, okay? So this takes practice. So the more you do it, the better you're going to get. It's just like training. It's just like anything in life. If you're going to get good at it, you just got to spend the time and spend the reps doing it. So now we're going to move into some of the specific things. And I have two things that I wanted to cover in this episode. We'll likely do another breathing episode. I have several people that are on the list of guests that are going to be upcoming in the next handful of months that are breath specialists, right? Like these are the guys that I have learned from. So they'll be able to do some a lot, a, a lot more of the... Um, new things that they're working on, the minutiae, a lot of this stuff, maybe some really deep dives into some of the performance aspects of it. But what I wanted to do today is do two things that you can take away today. So if we're going to talk about recovery, that's going to be the first one. So we can do this and we, we can look at recovery in two ways too. Recovery being how we're coming down post-workout, right? Which in a training session, for the most part, you're going to be on the sympathetic side of the spectrum. Now, if we're depending on the training session and your intensity that you bring to it, we can kind of float a little bit towards the middle of that curve or the middle of that gas gauge, like I described earlier. And that's really where flow state happens, where you're breathing through your nose, you're, you're moving very fluidly, you're not thinking really. Uh, a lot of us can just and can understand what flow state is because it's where you're working at a very high level and it just becomes uh, like a nature to you. And a lot of times we can understand what that's like because we'll be doing something and, and just get into this zoned out state. That's a, that's a phrase a lot of people use when I, and, and that's when it clicks. When I say, when you zone out and you just are super productive and then all of a sudden it's been an hour and you don't know where that hour has gone. That's flow state. Okay. And that can happen while you're training, when you're just feeling each movement, you're breathing well, you're, you're moving, everything is crisp. You don't have to think about what you're doing. That's ideal for almost all training sessions, right? So when we're coming down from those, our goal is to get us to parasympathetic as soon as possible. So because that's where recovery happens. That's where all of the things that you just busted your butt for, uh, you, you tore muscle tissue apart, you're, you're breaking down all these things while we're training. If we're not in parasympathetic, our recovery is you know, next to nothing. We're not going to be able to see the benefits of all we did in the gym if we can't recover properly. Okay. So that's the, that's the reason while going 
parasympathetic post-training as quick as possible is as important as it is. So there's a couple ways we do this. The first one we've already covered is nasal breathing. That is going to be your first trigger into parasympathetic. That is going to tell your body that it's time to wind down or we're not, or not even that it's time to wind down, but that we are not pegged out. We are in complete control of the situation. Okay. If we think of people who mouth breathe a lot and, and the term hyperventilation is thrown around with people who mouth breathe all the time, what is the first thing you think of when I say hyperventilation? It's generally someone having a panic attack or they are completely out of control of the situation. They cannot control their breathing. They cannot control their response to things. And if we are nasal breathing, we are in complete control because we are deciding our, even though we're pegged out, our heart rate's high, we are breathing in and out through our nose in a calm way. This tells your brain that you are not going to die no matter what the situation is because if you were, you'd be a lot more panicked. Okay, so you are in control of this stress response. And that's the same thing when we're trying to come off a training session, you're trying to get back into this recovery mode. So breathe nasal and in and out. And when we're doing this specifically, the one of the little tricks uh, to make sure we're going towards the parasympathetic is to have a exhale that is longer in duration than your inhale. And there's a couple of specific protocols where it's a uh, the I've seen two to one exhale to inhale is is kind of the sweet spot. So a lot of times uh, I'll prescribe like a four and eight, four seconds in, eight seconds out. And if you can just hit that for five or six minutes, maybe 10 minutes post-workout while you're cooling down and maybe doing some some stretches or mobility work and you're, and you're working that four, eight pattern, that is going to trigger your parasympathetic response. Okay. It can be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be some, some fancy cadence with holds and all this kind of stuff. It can be if uh, we're trying to... It- if we're trying to achieve a specific result, but if all we're trying to do is just come down and get parasympathetic after a training session, that four to eight is is key. And really, anytime we are trying to get into a parasympathetic state, doesn't even necessarily have to be post-training. Anytime we're trying to get parasympathetic, just imagine exhaling longer than you're inhaling. That's going to trigger that parasympathetic response. If our inhale is longer than our exhale, that's going to trigger your sympathetic response. So keep that in mind. Uh, if we're talking recovery, longer exhales. Okay. So there's the four, eight protocol is one of my favorites. Uh, the box breathing one doesn't necessarily follow the longer exhale thing, but when you account for the breath holds that take place, it technically does. So the way that box breathing works, uh, it's been around for ages. I did not create any of this stuff, by the way, nothing. I have invented nothing. All of this stuff is what I have learned and implemented and practiced on myself and through clients and the things that I've I've come to enjoy the processes of. And so the 481 is great. The box breathing one was the one that I started with when I got into the breath work stuff. Uh, I think it's the most accessible for everybody to understand and to practice. So that's why I like to include it so much. So the way that this works is you're going to have an inhale, a hold, an exhale, and a hold on empty lungs. And that's, you know, creates a box. Each of these sections of the box breathing protocol are going to be equal in duration. So four seconds, four seconds, four seconds, four seconds is a great place to start. So we're going to do a four. I'll do the, I'll do a round with you just so you can understand. Four second inhale. Four second hold. Four second exhale. Four second hold. That's one round. 
you would continue this pattern for, I mean, I'd say at least a minimum of five minutes, but you can go up to 15, 20 minutes if you're just getting in the zone and you're really, really trying to come down and get parasympathetic. So that's what, those are two of my favorites when it comes to recovery stuff. These are also great when it's pre-bedtime to help you get parasympathetic so you can sleep better. And if we're talking about recovery, you already know since I did the recovery episode, I think like two weeks ago, uh, if, you ha- if you haven't listened to that, go back. Recovery protocols, sleep is the most important thing that you can do when it comes to recovering. So if we can do anything to help ourselves sleep better, that's going to be the priority. So if we're talking about recovery, these two protocols are fantastic to do in the in you know in the five to 10 minutes before you go to bed. You can, I, I said this on the recovery podcast, you can do some of these protocols while you're laying in bed. It doesn't have to be something where you set up, you know, a yoga mat, and you're laying down, you have to get in this, you know, environment, you can just get yourself ready for bed, get into bed, and then practice these protocols while you're laying down. And you'll probably fall asleep doing them, but it's really going to help you sleep deeper, sleep better, and get better quality sleep, which is always the goal rather than just quantity. We want quality. So that is the recovery section. The last thing I want to cover in this one today is talking about apnea, which not to be confused because we just came off the sleep topic, not to be confused with sleep apnea, which happens when you're mouth breathing when you're sleeping. Apnea just means absence of breath, which when you think about sleep apnea, that's the reason that people have to have apnea mass, right? Because they stop breathing while they're sleeping and they're breathing in through their mouth and you know, airways are obstructed and all this kind of stuff. So anyways, apnea means absence of breath. And really what we're talking about here is just different ways to incorporate breath holds into our breathwork practice. Now, what breath holds do is they help our body build up tolerance to carbon dioxide, CO2. And the reason that's beneficial is because if we're more tolerant to CO2, we can work at higher intensities without fatiguing. So this is some of the stuff that on the performance side of things can really begin to make a difference, especially when it comes to endurance athletes, uh, which aren't just, you know, runners and cyclists and stuff, but anybody who's pegged at a high heart rate for any significant amount of time, which we're talking about sport, that's most. You have to have a pretty high level of endurance to do any sport. It's not, you know, I guess... Yeah, any sport, doesn't matter what it is. If it's Olympic weightlifting, you still have to have a level of endurance to handle the training that it takes to get ready to compete in a meet, even though your meet, you know, is you're hitting six lifts, right? You don't necessarily need endurance for that, but the training to build up to that, you need to have a good base level of endurance to to have better training. So if we're able to work at higher intensities without fatiguing, I mean, that's like the the unicorn of endurance, right? So building up our CO2 tolerance is key in being able to do that. And incorporating some breath holds is one of the best ways to build up that tolerance. This also prevents over-breathing. Uh, which if we're talking about like the hyperventilating thing, if you've seen somebody that goes into a training session, no matter what it is, and they're the people that are just huffing and puffing all the time, they're the ones that just seem like they're tired all the time, right? Like they're just, you know, it's 10 minutes into the workout and they're just huffing and puffing and they're, they're not able to focus. They're just flopping around and they're just trying to get the session done. There's no focus. There's no flow state. If we can prevent that over breathing and prevent that response, you're going to be able to work at higher intensity. So this, uh, sorry, I'm looking at my notes here because I had a couple of specific protocols that I wanted to go over. Um, and not only that, but if we're, if we're talking about holds, it, it again, just like with the recovery concepts, triggers that 
parasympathetic nervous system and helps us better prime for recovery. So there's a couple of different ways you can do this. And I've gotten some questions on this that I'm going to be the, you know, I hope this means that I'm not putting out that I know everything because I absolutely don't because I'm going to answer I don't know uh, on a couple of these things that I've been getting asked, which one of them had to do with using breath holds intro workout, you know, in between sets. And I've done them in the small sense that I didn't go in with a protocol. I was just doing it to... Because I know that when I do some breath hold practice, it helps me personally. I have not messed around with specific protocols for specific types of training sessions uh, and what would be the most beneficial in terms of duration of cadence of how long to do a breath hold, uh, anything like that. So that all being said, I have done breath hold practice for a long time. And if you have any idea who Wim Hof is with if you're in the breath you know, if you're interested in breath stuff at all, you've likely heard his name, right? His whole thing is breath holds and on exhales reaching three and a half, four, five minutes for some people, right? And free divers use a lot of these same tactics and protocols as well, because those guys are, are mutants, like they're diving hundreds of feet below the surface of the earth and like in water pressure, and they're not breathing for like six or seven, it, like it's ridiculous. Uh, however, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of the ways that I like to do this, uh, we, we already talked about one, box breathing is a great one. Um, I And it depends on the level of your heart rate. If we're talking about intra-workout stuff and we're talking about you know doing it between a set of something, okay, your body's going to have a natural parameter for the duration of time that you're going to be able to do a breath hold. You're not just going to be able to come off an assault bike and hop in and do a 30-second breath hold on empty lungs, right? If you are, then your intensity on the bike probably wasn't very high. However, if you're coming off a super intense, you know, like uh, some kind of 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, and during that 30 seconds off, you're trying to bring your heart rate down as quick as possible, I tend to do a one, four, two protocol, meaning we have one, inha one inhale, four hold, two exhale, okay? So that can literally mean one seconds, four seconds, two seconds, but that one, four, and two actually acts like a multiplying factor. And what I mean by that is one, four, and two is not a long duration of time, first of all. So if we're doing a one, four, and two protocol, if my inhale, for example, was four seconds, which is the one, my hold, which is going to be the four on the, on the equation, is now going to be 16. My exhale is going to be eight. So you can see how one, four, and two are the multipliers to get to four, 16, eight, right? So if my inhale is four, my, my hold, excuse me, is 16, my exhale is eight. Now, that's a really great place to be because, uh, and actually, if we're talking about the 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, that would actually fit right within that parameter to do it like one time right? You'd get basically one full breath cycle in and then hop back on the bike, which if you can do that in, in that specific type of workout and you're only taking essentially one full breath in 30 seconds, your endurance is through the roof, right? Especially in the middle of a workout. So that one, four and two protocol would be what I would do uh, intra workout, but not stretch it so far that we're, you know, probably longer than 20 seconds on the breath hold because at a while you're going to start you know, that's, and this is getting into kind of the weeds of some of this stuff, but depending on the workout, it's all going to be depending on the workout. Uh, if we're talking about conditioning stuff, it's just going to be the amount of time that you've got for your rest. You know, try and do as few breaths during that 
during that rest period as possible. Uh, if you're doing the one, four, two, you actually have a little bit of an equation to figure out how many you want to try to do as few breaths as possible. That's really going to, uh, build up that endurance and that CO2 tolerance before you hop back on the bike and then we're cranking out higher intensity stuff. So the idea after doing it intra-workout is to get yourself the heart rate drop down as low as possible so we can ramp it back up and we're following this peaks and valley thing while we're training instead of just being pegged the whole time. That's actually going to be much better for your endurance than being pegged out for 60 minutes, right? Uh, because that's really hard to recover from as well. I mean, people do it all the time, but I'm just saying in, in relation to recovery aspects of it. So let's see what else I had here. You can also do the uh, hypoxic training, which I have not messed around with that a ton, um, but that can be very beneficial for people that do endurance uh, events or train at altitude or or are training for altitude. Uh, so essentially one of the ways you can do this is even just walking. And it's going to be a lot harder than you imagine it to be. But just walking, you're going to, you know, if you're walking around your block, walking around your yard, take a big, huge inhale, as big as you can get in, exhale all the way out, and then just walk on a breath hold once you've emptied your lungs. The idea is to see how far you can get walking uh, before you have to, you know, that gasp reflex kicks in and you have to take that... <laughs> huge inhale. So when you do this, it's just a matter of building up tolerance and you're going to get longer and longer and longer while you're doing this, just like with anything. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it, the first time I did it, it was kind of discouraging because I think I made it like 20 yards, like not very far at all. Uh, it's much different doing breath hold stuff when you are laying down in a comfortable place and you're not versus when you've got limbs and muscles moving and, and working, right? Uh, you use up oxygen a lot quicker when you're moving around than you do when you're laying down doing nothing. That's obvious. Uh, so there's, that's a, that's a great protocol, um, to practice that, you know, you can take a couple of seconds, get your breath back to normal and then take another big inhale, blow all the air out and then do the same thing. Uh, and, and walk until on, on a, on a breath hold, until you have to hit that gas reset. You, you can do this for 15 to 20 minutes, right? And that's going to be a like a, a pretty potent endurance buildup tool, even just walking. And uh, it can be very powerful for your ability to handle CO2, which is, again, to go back to it, it's going to help you work at higher intensities without fatigue. And we're talking about just doing this with walking. There's ways that you can do this with while you're running or, or on a bike or, you know, I would prefer a stationary bike because if you pass out while you're on a normal bike, again, like locomotive stuff, I'd be careful with doing some of the breath hold stuff. Uh, but you can do this in any sort of fashion to build up that CO2 tolerance and, and work on the endurance aspect of this. Um, a lot of really high level runners have done stuff like this hypoxic training uh, to build up endurance for, you know, ultra level events. And I say ultra, I don't just mean that as like an adjective. I literally mean like 50 to 100 miles plus mile events, right? So this is a, it can be a very potent uh, thing to help with bringing heart rate down intra workout to get back into pushing harder for the next set or building CO2 tolerance just for uh, general endurance. And, and these are things like we're talking about performance stuff, but all people can benefit from this and breath work in general. And so this, we had a couple of protocols that we talked about. So we had four, eight, we had the box breathing. Uh, we had the one, four, two pattern that, which is called the apnea pattern. Uh, all of those things are, are useful tools that you can take away straight from this episode and 
and begin to implement in your daily practice. And the first thing you could do is just practice nasal breathing. If you are driving in a car, you can start just breathing in and out through your nose right now. That's going to help you, especially if you're driving in traffic, right? Uh, if we're talking about stress response and traffic is one of the most stressful things that exists in our modern world for a lot of people. Uh, and a lot of people don't handle it very well because they don't handle stress very well. So if you can just start breathing in through your nose deeply, out through your nose slowly, you're going to realize that it's a very, 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 very potent relaxation technique, which off, you know, the breathing stuff, that's the big takeaway. How do we get to a place where we can be relaxed? Because a lot of us aren't at all, which is why I wanted to do this episode because it's something that I, I hammer so often with people that I work with. And it's one of my favorite things to teach. That's why I do local seminars and, and uh, workshops and all this kind of stuff. So that was a ton of information. I hope it all made sense. Um, I hope you took notes. If you have any questions on any of this stuff that we did, I, I want to do another one of this where we get more in depth and go into more of the performance side. We just barely touched on that at the very end. Uh, get more into the performance side of things and talk some more about some of the, you know, quote unquote, fancier, you know, the sexier things that go along with breath work, um, you know, <laughs> breath work, which is a practice that's been around for thousands of years, like it's sexy, like it's new or anything like that. But uh, I hope that this was helpful. If you have any questions about any of this, please email me coach Ross at nomad-strength.com. Or you can find me on Instagram and, and send me a DM or whatever I would be more than happy to help with whatever you're doing breath work wise and, and maybe point you in the direction if I can't help of someone who can. So thank you for listening to this one. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter yet, go to nomad-strength.com. That's the actual hyphen dash, right? Not like the word dash. Believe it or not, I've had that question. Uh, nomad-strength.com. Go sign up for the newsletter. I post, uh, I send an email out, newsletter out once a week talking about uh, what the, you know, the number one podcast was from that week, some other things that you can take away. And it's just, you know, like a wrap up of the week in, in training and what I've been working on. So go sign up for that. You'll be also the first to know about all the new coaching programs, everything that's happening coming up soon. And that's all. Thank you guys for listening. And I'll catch you guys at the beginning of next week for the next interview episode.